you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we are working through the life of Jesus and looking at the faces that Jesus talked with and ministered to. Uh, some of you are sports fans. Do I have any Ranger fans in the room today? Uh, a few Ranger fans, you're still with us. We're glad. Uh, you know, 162 games that take up in a baseball season, and for this year is 163. Uh, and some of you watched all 163 games. I mean, you are a true Ranger fan. You're with them, whether they are good or whether they are bad. You are an actual fan of the team. And then there are some people who you're just a fan of winning. You, you, uh, you become a huge Ranger fan if they make the playoffs. I mean, if the Rangers go to the playoffs, you're out buying jerseys, you're watching every game, and you're, you're into it all, but you're really just one Nelson Cruz missed fly ball away from, uh, sorry to bring up that pain, it's like ripping a scab off, you're, you're one missed fly ball away from not caring anymore. Uh, some of you are political junkies. Do I have any political junkies in the room today? I mean, you follow politics day in and day out. You are reading blogs. You're reading papers. You're listening to talk radio. You're really into the political scene. And then there are others in the room that about every four years, you pay a little bit of attention to what's going on when the presidents are elected. There are some in this room that are health conscious you day in and day out try to eat healthy meals. You try to make sure that every week you get plenty of exercise. And then there are others who just every January for about a month, you go on a health kick and, and you work out a little bit and you try to eat a little bit better and then you kind of go back to your normal uh, lifestyle. Well, when it comes to Jesus, there are some who are true followers of Christ. I mean, you follow Christ whether life is going well or whether life is going through a difficult time, because He is your Lord. You are a follower of Christ. That's not just something that you do on Sundays. That is who you are. He has invaded every area of your life. And then there are others who follow Christ for what they can get from Him. And so if the blessings are not there or if God doesn't do something on your timetable or the way that you think that he should do it. You quickly abandon the Savior. Well, this is actually the matter that Jesus addresses in our passage today. Luke, John chapter 6 and verse 22. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. Make sure that when you come to church, you bring your Bible or at least bring your Bible app with you when you come to church so that you can follow along. It's not a bad thing to read the Bible in church. You know, that's kind of a, a good thing. So we're going to read a lot of the Bible today, uh, beginning in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew that there had been only one boat. And they also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, I remember when I was thinking about asking my now wife, Stacy, out on our first date. Uh, it was very important to me that I didn't get turned down 
You know, that's kind of a big deal. You don't want to get turned down by your future wife for your first date. So it was very important to me that that didn't happen. And so I was looking for signs. And we had flirted a little bit back and forth. But, you know, if you know my wife, she, she, she kind of plays her cards close to the vest. You don't always know exactly what she's thinking. And so I thought she might be interested in going out on a date with me, but I wasn't sure. And then finally, her friends set me down one night and they said, So, Lash. When are you going to ask her out? And I thought to myself, that's a good sign. Okay, I think I may be on to something right here. And so we both lived happily ever after. But up to this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been displaying signs about who he is. In fact, a lot of the stories that we've looked at are called the signs of Jesus. It's a, a term that theologians often use. And so the first sign that he gave of who he is is whenever he created a buzz by changing the water into wine there at the wedding at Cana. Now that was actually uh, also symbolic of what he would do on the cross. And today as we take of the Lord's Supper, you take of the bread and the juice and and, and the, the wine represents the new life in him, how it transforms us. From the old to the new. And so uh, Jesus began his display of his deity by changing the water into wine. Then in John 4, he reached into the upper echelons of society whenever he healed the child of a royal official's son. Then in John 5, he went down to the lower rungs of society whenever he healed a poor paralytic man who had been crippled for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. All of these were signs pointing to who Jesus is. In John chapter 6, he feeds the masses with five barley loaves and two small fish to point to Christ as the Messiah. Then, right after that story, the disciples, you remember, got on a boat and they began sailing to Capernaum and a storm hit the sea. They were fighting for their lives, and Jesus walks out on the sea to comfort them, to bring them safely to shore. And that was the fifth sign. Now, through all these signs, Jesus had managed to draw quite a crowd. In fact, the crowd was now stalking him. Had Jesus had a cell phone, his phone would have been lighting up with text. Anybody ever technology stalk you? They text you, and when you don't respond within five minutes, they send you an email. Hey, did you get my text? And whenever you don't respond to the email within 10 minutes, they call you and say, hey, I sent you a text and emailed you, but you must not be responding right now. What are they doing? They are technology stalking you. Well, the crowd was stalking Jesus. They were following him wherever he possibly went. And in verse 26, they have found him, and they're kind of like, Jesus, how did you get here? He didn't bother to tell them that he walked across the sea, but he answers them in verse 26, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate loaves and were filled. So Jesus basically says, well, the reason you're stalking me is you want another meal. You're hungry again. I fed you yesterday, but now you're hungry again. Verse 27, he says, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. Now, this is a transition point in Jesus' teaching. At this point, He's really going to begin pressing the crowd to follow Him because they believe in Him. To follow Him because of who He is. That He is Lord. He is the Son of God. And he wants the crowd to follow him because of who he is, not because of the things that he gives them. And so he says to the crowd, look at the bread that I gave you. You were full yesterday, but now you're hungry. I imagine that he could say to Simon Peter, hey, all you guys got take-home boxes. Bring that take-home box from the feeding of the 5,000. Bring that over here. Open it up. It's a little bit old now. Hey, look, there's fungus growing on the bread. You don't want to eat that. Ooh, smell that fish? Smells good. Unrefrigerated fish after 24 hours? Smells great, doesn't it? Hey, hey, look, what I gave you yesterday is rotting, but crowd, what you need is you need food that lasts forever. You need something that will never go away. So look at the crowd's response in verse 28. They say to Jesus, well, what can we do? What can we do to perform the works of God? What is it that we can do to see these miracles? What, what do you want us to do? Now, this is an important question. What are we supposed to do? Jesus, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to go to church? Do you want us to join a life group? Drink more coffee? I hear Christians drink a lot of coffee. Maybe that's what we need to do. Get a Jesus tat? you know, so that we can represent? Is that what you want us to do? Well, Jesus replies in verse 29, this is the work of God, right? This is what I want you to do. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Hey, crowd, this is what I want from you, Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe. Believe in what? Believe in the one. Is it capitalized? Yes, it's personified there. Believe in me. You see, the greatest miracle that God does is not the transforming of two fish and five barley loaves. But the greatest miracle that God does is when he transforms the heart of one who believes. That is the work of God. That is what he really desires for you and from you, is that you will believe in the one that he has sent, that you place your faith in Jesus as Lord. Well, the crowd responds in verse 30. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Now, the crowd is struggling here. The crowd is acting like a spoiled toddler at Christmas. All right, I got this present. What's next? Okay, uh, we, you, you fed us yesterday. What sign are you going to do now? Oh, yeah, you said that we're supposed to believe in you. Okay, well, give us another sign, and then maybe we'll believe in you. What are you going to perform, Jesus? What is it that you're going to do for me? Because as we all know, it's all about me, right? That's the crowd's response right now. So they say in verse 31, now now they're going to actually start giving Jesus suggestions. 
They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So basically they're saying, hey, uh, hey you know, uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do, Jesus, but uh, remember Moses, the children of Israel? Uh, they got manna. Kind of fell from the sky. Remember that story from the Old Testament? The children of Israel are walking across the wilderness to the promised land. Moses, the great liberator, God was using to lead them. And in the middle of the desert, God fed the people by every night dropping manna. It was a bread-like substance that would drop from on high, and they could go out and gather it, and they could eat. And so in this society, uh, unlike ours today, most of us, are pretty confident that we're going to have lunch today. In this society that Jesus lived in, you didn't always, I mean, you had to work for your meals. And so they're saying to Jesus, well, you fed us yesterday. Maybe what you can do is kind of do what Moses did and just drop some manna from heaven. Just feed us day in, day out. Take care of our physical need. And if you will perform these signs, then we'll believe in you. As long as you're performing the signs, Jesus, we're tracking with you. Well, verse 32, Jesus says to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now let's rewind that verse and make sure that you Uh, really digest it. No pun intended. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. It reminds me of the woman at the well who said, Lord, give me this living water so that I might never thirst again. Lord, give us this bread always, to which Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. I'm it. I'm the bread of life. And then Jesus says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, five quick notes from that section. Number one, miracles are a work of God, not of man. Jesus points out that it wasn't Moses who brought manna, that it was God. God still performs miracles. God still heals people. God still does things that only God can do because he is God. I know as Baptists, we may not talk about healing and those kind of things quite as often as our charismatic friends do, but God is still in the miracle business. But make sure you note this, when God performs a miracle, it is God that performs the miracle, not the faith healer. Miracles are a gift from God. Number two, the manna of the Old Testament was a symbol pointing to what was to come. It's what theologians call a type. It was a type that pointed to the real bread of life, which would be Jesus. And so seven times 
in the, in the passage here, Jesus talks about how the Son of Man came down, uh, the, the imagery of the manna coming down, that the Son of Man came down, the bread of life was coming down from heaven, the real uh, fulfillment of the manna was taking place. Fourthly, Jesus says the bread of life gives life to the world. It's very uh, universal in its concept. Sometimes people actually uh, use this passage to argue for a very limited atonement, but they miss the context that Jesus talks throughout the passage of the bread of life is for everyone, that he is there for the world. Fifthly, no one who believes or comes to me, Jesus says, will ever be thirsty or hungry again. Now, Jesus is talking spiritually here. When you come to me, you will be satisfied. You will be filled. Now, this is huge because we tend to live in a world that is an empty pursuit of fulfillment. Much of our lives, and for some, all of our lives, is just an endless treadmill run in pursuit of fulfillment. We eat a great lunch. We go to Hard Eight Barbecue, and we get some good brisket, and we get some good potato salad, and we fill ourselves full, and we're like, this is incredible. I've never, this is the best lunch I've ever had. And, and we go home, and, and, and we're so filled from the lunch, but then two or three hours go past, and we're like, hey, what's for dinner? I'm, I'm hungry again. Some of you actually have been on vacation with people that while they're eating lunch, they're planning dinner. You ever experienced that? Yeah, because we're always searching for the next meal. You read a great book. You go, you see a fantastic movie. You enjoy a great game. And you're like, this was the best. And you leave with that adrenaline rush. And you're like, this is incredible. But then a little bit of time goes past. And you're like, well, is there another book I want to read? What, what else is out there? Uh, when's the next game? We make a purchase. We think, oh, I've got to have this. I've got to have this phone. I've got to have this gadget. I've got to have this car. And so we, we, we stalk that item, and we, we stay up late at night researching it and reading consumer reports. And, and, and we get the item, and we enjoy it, and it's fulfilling. And it's like, this is wonderful. But then after a while, we're like, what's the next purchase? What's the next thing that I have to have? And so we as human beings, we, we have these drives. We, we have our sexual drive, our, our, our drive for power, our drive for money, our drive for pleasure, our drive for food, our drive for relationships. And in these physical drives, we find ourselves never really satisfied. As soon as we are fulfilled once, uh, we take it in, and then we're longing for the next fulfillment. And many people, sadly, live their entire lives seeking after fulfillment, and they never get any satisfaction. We become like one of our senior citizens, Mick Jagger, who, who wrote, I can't get no, oh no, oh no, 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 hey, 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 that's what I say. I can't get no satisfaction. 
I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction. You know, and so we because that was bad. We become like Mick Jagger, we can't get satisfaction. So Jesus says this no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And he's talking about satisfying the hunger of the soul. There is a big difference between Jesus and Jagger. Big difference. Jesus says, I satisfy. Verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you did not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Jesus says, the problem is, you've seen me. You were there at the feeding of the 5,000. You saw the royal official son healed. You saw the paralytic man healed. Some of you saw me walk on water. You've seen me. You've seen the evidence. You've seen the signs, but have you believed in me? He says to the crowd, many of you have seen, but you've never believed. Jesus invites them to come to me. He says, come to me. Believe in me. And he tells them, what I have for you, it lasts forever. He says, I am the bread of life. And whenever you eat of the bread of life, you are never hungry again. He then tells the crowd, I will never cast you out. You know why whenever we are Christ's, that we belong to him forever? Because we are Christ's. Through God's grace. When the grace of God brings you into the hands and arms of Jesus Christ, you belong to Him for all eternity. Because it's not about what you did, it's about the reality that you believed in Christ. You are His. And He says, all that believe the Father has given me and those that belong to me, I, no one will ever pluck them out of my hand. I will lose none of those that he has given me and I will raise you up on the last day. You belong with me for all eternity. You are mine. Have you ever wondered, what is the will of God for your life? I know many of you have. Who has ever asked that question? What's the will of God for my life? I've asked that question. God, just show me your will, and I'll do it. Well, verse 40 says, for this is the will of my Father. All right, you might take out the highlighter right there, okay? This is the will of my Father. This is coming from Jesus, all right? This is the will. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The will of God for your life is that you will experience the salvation of God, that you will see the Son of God for who he is, that Jesus is Lord, that you will come to him, believe in him, 
experience the forgiveness and the grace that is only found in Christ, that you will have life today, life tomorrow, and life forevermore in Him, that your relationship with Jesus will become the foundation of who you are, that following Jesus is not just something that you do, it is the essence of your soul because you have embraced, you have taken in the bread of life. God's will for your life is that you experience salvation and that you live your life in that salvation. That's what God wants from you. Now within the crowd, there were a lot of different faces. And I want to identify four faces from the crowd and ask you to kind of look in the mirror and ask yourself, which, which face am I? Within the crowd, there were the ones who followed Jesus for the miracles. The reason they were chasing after Jesus was because they wanted the next meal. The reason that they were following Jesus was because they wanted to see the next person healed the next miracle and so that's why they were following Jesus and there are some people in the crowd that you're following Jesus not because he's your Lord but you're following him because you want to see the spectacular you're wanting to see the person healed you're wanting to see the miracle and if the miracles dry up if the blessings dry up if God doesn't do something on your timetable if God doesn't do things the way that you think he ought to do them you abandon him you quit following him you go your way now there are some in the crowd who follow Jesus because of opportunity a lot of the disciples were at that point in their journey right here. They followed Jesus because maybe through following him, they could have life advancement. Maybe he would become the new king of Israel, and they would have positions within the cabinet. And there are some today that follow Jesus because he is your ticket to more money. He's your ticket to a better job, a happier marriage. Within the South, there are still there's still kind of a Christian culture in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and sometimes people engage in church because it will be uh, beneficial to their business. They think perhaps maybe within the school district it will help them rise up to better positions. And so within the southern culture that we have, sometimes we follow Jesus because he provides greater opportunity for us in life. There are some in the crowd that were following Jesus, but they never really got it. The signs were there, but they didn't see Jesus for who he is. And there are some today that come to church. Maybe you're growing up in a Christian family. Mom and dad are true believers, but you're still not getting it. The signs are there. The opportunity is there. But for whatever reason, the heart has become hardened. And you're not going to be drawn to believe. There are some individuals that Jesus could come stand before them. He could walk on water. He could feed the masses with just a little bit of food. He could heal the paralytic man, and they would see it all and still not believe because the heart is hard. You become a friend of skepticism and cynicism. And even if Christ were to stand right before you and do the works of God, you would still reject. And then there, is also, there are also those who see Jesus 
and they believe in him. They believe he's the son of God, that God sent him from heaven to live the life that we could never live, to die on the cross for our sin. They believe, they come to him, and they eat of the bread of life, and they find the satisfaction that can only come through salvation. So I ask you this morning, which face are you? Which person are you? Within the crowd, which face are you? I invite you this morning to believe and come. Would you be so kind as to bow your head right where you're sitting? We're going to have a a time of worship as a congregation today. And I like the fact that with our three services now, we have a little bit more room to move around. And so we're going to invite you to, in a few moments, come and believe. And to, in a very tangible way, show that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by taking of the Lord's Supper. The elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, they, they are represented in the story that we've talked about today. When we partake of the bread, we are remembering that Jesus is the bread of life. We're remembering that His body was broken for our sin. When we take of the wine, we are remembering that Jesus' blood was shed so that we can be transformed, that the old has been replaced by the new, that we have moved from law to grace and we live and experience salvation in the grace of God. And so today as a congregation, we have that opportunity to tangibly come and believe. Now before we do this, There might be someone here today that says, Lash, I've never truly believed. There's a man in our 830 service came to me and said, today I believe. I'm believing in Christ. Maybe you've been to church, you've grown up in a Christian home. The signs have been there. You know things about Jesus. Have you ever truly embraced Him as your Lord? Believe in Him. Place your life in Him. I invite you this morning, if there's never been that time in your life, to believe today. Just call out to Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong. And I pray for your forgiveness. I believe in Jesus Christ, that He is the bread of life. I place my faith in Him. I desire Your forgiveness. I desire Your grace. I desire Christ. And I pray, Lord, that Jesus might invade my life and change me. Help me, Lord, to live my life in salvation and to be that person that draws others to You. Today is the moment of belief in your life. I challenge you to mark this moment right here in this worship service, Murphy Road Baptist Church. Today is the day that you believed. I would love it if you'd tell me, Pastor, today I believed in Christ for for the very first time. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed as we stand together as a congregation. Our deacons are going to come to 
uh, the Lord's Supper stations. We have one here at the front. There are two at the back of the room as well. And as the band leads us in song today, I invite you just to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and show that belief by partaking of the bread and the juice. The deacons will serve it to you. You can go back and take it at your seat. Families may want to pray together. You may want to spend this time just in quiet reflection. If you don't feel like the Lord's leading you to take of the Lord's Supper today, that's between you and God. But we invite you to come and partake of the bread of life to remember who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Father, thank You. Thank You for this church, for this gathering of believers. And today, we as a church proclaim that You are Lord of lords and King of kings. We proclaim that You are the bread of life. And as we take of the bread and juice, we renew that covenant again within our souls. And we are mindful that we are Yours for all eternity. We are so thankful for Your grace and its amazing power to transform death into life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let us worship together. Let's stand together.